So Money episode 115, Simon Cunningham. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. Whether you're on your commute to work, coming home from work, at the gym, walking the dog, I appreciate your time spent with us today. Have you ever heard of peer-to-peer lending? Well, today's guest is the founder and CEO of Lending Memo Media. His name is Simon Cunningham, and he runs the Seattle-based company that promotes peer-to-peer lending education. If you're not familiar with P2P lending, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's the practice of lending money to unrelated individuals or peers without going through a traditional financial institution or a bank. In other words, people are able to sidestep the banks to lend and borrow directly to one another. And P2P lending typically offers more attractive terms if you're a borrower than a traditional unsecured loan or credit card and can be a godsend if you've got multiple high interest debts and need to consolidate. Peer-to-peer lending is a full-fledged, fast-growing business and part of a whopping $3 trillion consumer debt market. And Simon is really at the crossroads of all of this, offering consumers a website to really engage, understand, to learn more about this so that they can make educated choices if they choose to enter this market. A few takeaways from our interview with Simon. One, how he made a 10% annual rate of return on his P2P investments key benefits and risks to this sort of investment for both borrowers and lenders, and the downsides to the frugality movement, according to Simon. Here is Simon Cunningham. Simon Cunningham, welcome to So Money. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You uh, recently launched uh, Lending Memo Media and you know, before we get into kind of that, uh, this, I'm curious about peer to peer lending. This is not something new, but it is very 21st century in the sense that, you know, I think I first learned about this, uh, I guess when the market crashed in 2008, you started to hear more and more about these alternative ways to get financing, these alternative ways to make investments. Um, and this market of going to your peers as opposed to a bank, has how has the growth been since the 2000s? Are people becoming more and more um, it just uh, engaged with this? Because I know there was a lot of skepticism when the industry first made its entry. Yeah, that's right. So when this thing first began, um, it, in Prosper, the first company began in 2006, and then Lending Club began in 2007. And in the market crash of what you're talking about in 2008, um, they were both very kind of unknown players in the scene. So um, in 2009, 2010, 2011, there was a lot of skepticism towards investing in traditional things like the stock market. Um, and they're, you know, obviously, in my opinion, it's kind of pretty much gone now. People are all bullish again. But back in 2010, people were pretty 
cynical in many ways about investing in stocks. And so you had this perfect environment for this alternative investment, um, which was, you know, people borrowing and lending money directly to and from each other uh, that kind of filled that gap. And uh, in, the, in the years since, it's really taken off. So it took Lending Club, uh, the, the biggest company today is Lending Club, and it took them something around five years to issue their first billion dollars in loans. And it took them something like eight months to issue their second billion. So it's it's like... Um, and now they're issuing around a billion dollars every three months. So it's just an incredible uh, growth. Um, and in many ways, I think you're right. It was it was uh, tied to the um, skepticism around the stock market back in 09, 010, something like that. As an investor in this, let's talk about both sides of the of the deal here. So there's sure. peer-to-peer investors and there are peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer borrowers. Um, sure. Investors can also be called lenders. Uh, what is it? What are the benefits for investors um, that are unique to this that they wouldn't necessarily get being in the stock market? Sure. So probably the best way to kind of introduce the benefits to investors and borrowers is to just kind of quickly illustrate what this investment, what this thing is at all. And that is um, peer-to-peer lending is the large-scale lending of of money between people over the Internet. So basically, the Internet has allowed people to borrow and lend money to, to and from each other on a large scale for the first time in history. Like it has never been possible until the advent of technology today to allow people on a mass um, level to be able to borrow and lend money to and from each other. And what's so beautiful is that when these people, when people go online and are borrowing and, and lending directly to and from each other, uh, they don't need the traditional inter- intermediaries that we used to use. So uh, back in the day, if you needed a loan for a house or you needed a personal loan, you'd go to a bank. And if you wanted to invest money, you'd go to a bank. And so these banks were these giant kind of middlemen that would you know, kind of facilitate that flow um, and that transaction. And what we found is that over the years in, in uh, um, I personally am kind of a pretty big skeptic towards uh, the the place of banks in our in our culture today. That a lot of times they've been said they're too big to fail, and they have uh, there's there's uh, talk about kind of um, they're so inefficient. I mean, they have to pay for vaults and tellers, and um, there's there's you know how many senior vice presidents in a lot of these companies, and so they're basically these these giant brick and mortar things that. As they move that, that money between the borrowers and the investors, um, they're going to take a pretty large chunk of it. And actually, the CEO of Lending Club, Renaud Laplanche, talked about that when he went to his bank and he was trying to put it in a savings account. And he was earning like 2%. And then he needed a credit card and he was getting something like 17%. So here's this like big 15% spread in the middle. And he's going, boy, we can do better than this. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty much what peer-to-peer lending is. So it, your answer to your question is, what are the benefits for the investors? It's earning way more than you would at a traditional savings account. I mean, I don't saving account rates these days are, you know, hilariously 0.0%, you know, just terrible um, interest on the savings account. But um, so what you can do is you can earn a real, a relatively stable investment by putting your money to work, um, giving it to borrowers. And borrowers, on the other hand, are consolidating their debts away from credit cards and are basically offered the lowest unsecured loan rates in history. So it's this incredibly efficient, beautiful, um, just makes it just makes sense, this connection between people who have money and people who need it. Sticking with the investor side, the key I've heard to making this successful for you as an investor is to diversify. Just as we say diversify in your portfolio, whether you're talking right. about you know stocks, mutual funds. But in particular, I mean, there are risks to this. People could default on their loans. On the other side, borrowers could never pay back. And so you still face those same risks as you would um, in the real 
kind of in the in the traditional banking world. Um, so how diverse should you be? Yeah, so diversification is the most important thing that people need to do if they're going to become investors on these sites. On uh, There's currently two sites where everyday Americans can become peer-to-peer investors, and that's Lending Club and Prosper. And on both of them, um, the most important thing to do is spread your investment across enough loans that if one defaults, it's not going to send your whole earning, you know, totally into the into the pit. So um, there's kind of some talk about what that point is, you know, is it is it 100 loans, is it 200 loans, but generally, um, I would say it's probably going to be 200 loans, unless you want to stick with their safest double A or A grade loans, then you can maybe put it in something like 80 loans. But um, what's so cool about peer-to-peer lending is it, al- it allows th- – the loans are fractionalized. So what that means is um, so let's say some guy is – he needs a, you know some dude in Illinois and needs a, like a $35,000 loan. He can go on Lending Club and Prosper and say, you know, I need this big, huge chunk of money. And then all these different investors can pile in t- notes of $25, $25, $25, and hundreds of investors can work together to fund that loan. And so when you go on with, let's say, a minimum investment of $5,000, which divided by $25 notes puts you in 200 loans, um, that allows, because everything's fractionalized, you can just pick a little, pick up a little $25 increment of every loan that's on there and spread your entire $5,000 investment into $25 increments all over all sorts of notes. And what happens, this is what's so beautiful about diversification, is if you're diversified enough, you start to mirror and represent the default rate of the investment as a whole. So you no longer have to worry like, you know, am I going to do better than average or worse than average? You can kind of look at what has been the average default rate at Lending Club and Prosper. And by diversifying yourself well across, you know, 200 loans, fractionalized into a $25 note and 200 different loans, you have the ability to kind of uh, have some sort. Now, there's no guarantee in any investment, of course, but you have some sort of prediction around how your investment is going to perform. Have you invested in this? And if so, what's been your success rate? Yeah, so I am. <laughs> I'm like young. I'm. I'm. A, I'm only 32 years old. I have no kids. Um, I. I'm like a. I'm, I'm allowed to take on more risk than most investors probably, right? So as a result, um, I personally have uh, $20,000 invested in both of these platforms, and I've been earning um, around 10% on both of them for the last. Uh, let's see. I opened my first London Club account in 2011. So that be four years. Um, now, most investors aren't going to take on as risky of approach as I am. So similar to you know the way that people grade um, all sorts of things in the financial world, Lending Club and Prosper loans are graded as well. They're graded with a proprietary grade, meaning the, the companies assign their own grades to their own loans. And then you can kind of put your money in whatever graded loans you want, safe A grades all the way to riskier E grades, and then hopefully earn a higher return. Because the people who borrowers who are riskier, meaning they are a higher chance of defaulting, they're going to give you a higher interest rate. And so as a result, you can kind of earn a higher return by lending money to riskier people. Hmm. Um, now, if you're, you know, let's say you're like 75 and you're in your retirement and you would definitely not want to put your, like your entire savings into <laughs> E-grade loans. And then um, what could happen is we have like a, na- a massive spike in the national unemployment rate and your default rate increases substantially and you lose a bunch of money or something. Um, that we wouldn't want that. But for somebody in my age bracket, in my current situation in life, um, uh, hopefully I, I do want to have kids someday and mm-hmm. I will lovingly put my 
my grades down to uh, a little lower than they are, but I'm on the riskier side of things, and uh, that I'm, I've been earning a great return as a result of that. I would imagine for borrowers on the other side of the coin, this is a huge opportunity, particularly those who are carrying student loan debt, especially if it's a private loan where it's a large interest rate, it might be a variable rate. Uh, sure. Who are you finding, what's the profile of the typical borrower who's coming to these lending sites. And, and I want to talk also about lending memo media, because I think this is kind of the bridge, right? This is where you go to kind of understand sure. the world of, of, of peer-to-peer lending. Um, but let's talk about the borrowers, because I think that's going to be, that's 50% of the population here that's using these sites. Absolutely. So the average profile of somebody coming to these platforms and looking for a loan is somebody who is um, in credit card debt. Um, they're paying, you know, something like, let's see here, I want to say 19% interest is the average interest rate they're paying, um, maybe around 20. Uh, they are tired of a, this revolving line of debt, which um, has a variable interest rate, so it can go up and down all the time. Um, they have, let's say, four or five different credit cards um, bills that are all coming to their house at different times, and they're looking to consolidate that. So what a peer-to-peer loan offers is one simple fixed-rate, fixed-term debt instrument that is typically 5% to 7% lower than what people are paying on their credit cards. So, you know, what's so cool about the internet is allows, because it's taking these giant set, this giant set of data from a borrower's credit history, it can put that into like some sort of computational algorithm and it can give people a really accurate interest rate, which would still be a good um, investment for the lenders who are out there. So the average borrower is coming to the platform and saying, why am I spending 19, 20% on credit cards? Um, I can push that all into one lump sum and have a fixed term where I'm guaranteed in three years to be debt free. That sounds like a great uh, deal for me. And and it, it really is a great deal. These companies have very low late fees. You know, a lot of them are only charging like $15 if you're late. And if you're late on a payment, your interest rate never goes up. Hmm. So you have this, it's just, a, it's a great debt vehicle. It's just a great way to take, you know, a bunch of debt that's been kind of spinning around you in different variable rates and put it all into one place. And, and because it's a fixed term, pay it up but down over three years. And you can look at that date and, you know, 2018, I will be debt free. Mm. And, uh, and I, as an investor, take pride in my investment because I know that, you know, 85% of the loans on these platforms are going to help get um, borrowers out of debt. So it's it's a good deal for both involved. Yeah. Um, now there are there are a few people who are on the other. They're not necessarily consolidating debt. So the second and third largest and most popular categories of borrowers are actually people who are doing home repairs and people who are um, having some sort of medical procedure or a medical problem that they're solving. So like my brother redid his kitchen and he came to me and he goes, you know, I'm, I put this on my credit card. Do I put this, should I move the credit card over to a peer-to-peer loan? And I was like, absolutely. You know, so that's another very popular category. But your question is to student loans, you know, that's that's a harder one because if if the student loan is a private student loan and it's sitting there, you know, up at like, 10, 11%, then definitely people should check their rate and see if they can get a loan, a loan on Lending Club and Prosper that would beat that. Unfortunately, uh, most people with student loans don't necessarily have a developed credit history yet. And on top of that, the minimum credit score for these platforms for the very, very best people is something like 6.68%. So as a result, um, for people to have a better interest rate than their student loans, they would not only A, have to have uh, um, a really good 
uh, credit history already built up, even though they're graduates. But on the second hand, uh, also, um, these loans only go up to $35,000. And once you start taking out these larger loan amounts, your interest rate is naturally going to go up as well. Right. So that population isn't, isn't as served, although I know people have done that. That's a really good point. I just wish there was something really that was a solution for these student loan borrowers, you know, that was an alternative to what they're currently grappling with. Sure. And I, I would suggest that those people actually look at all sorts of um, other alternative uh, lenders online. Um, I want to say SoFi is a company out there that actually refinances student debt. Um, but they, of course, also are, are financing, I want to say, to really prime borrowers as well. So um, there are there are options out there mm-hmm. for people to reconsolidate debt. But as for a peer-to-peer, person-to-person, um, large-scale lending of money, this particular investment is not necessarily best served by that. Right. Well, Simon, you're young, you're a millennial, you've started a company. I want to know, what is your financial philosophy? I assume you have sure. a pretty good handle on your money as well. Um or you're learning at least how to do it. What would you say is your money mantra? My money mantra. Um, I let's see here. So I grew up in a in a family and in a culture which was really frugal. So we were all about like you know I, I remember as a child um, for 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 dessert. You know we would sit around the table and we didn't have hardly any money. My dad was in grad school. And as dessert, we would take out, do you remember those frozen, uh, like cylinders of frozen juice that you would mix with a, <laughs> yes. you remember those? Yeah. So we would actually like for dessert as a family, we would take out one of those juice cylinders and we'd take out teaspoons and like carve off little chunks of fruity ice. And, and that would be like, you know, and then whatever was left over, you'd make juice out of. So you're going to use it anyways. Right. So it was like this. Uh, way to fool your kids into thinking you're actually buying them dessert. So oh that's that's the kind of that I grew up in a very poor family at mm-hmm. times. Um, uh, we moved ourselves up to middle class eventually just because uh, my parents both got jobs. Um, but in my family and culturally is really embraced frugality as a as a value. And so um, the car that I drive today, I drive a a, a car I bought off eBay for thirteen hundred dollars. Um, it's a, a 1998 Ford Escort stick shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it, uh, Prometheus and, uh, it, it gets me where I, I need to go. Um, it's, it's, you know, I've had it for seven years and it cost me $1,300. So this is the kind of, um, the way that I was raised. Uh, on the other hand though, I've, I've learned a lot about the frugality movement and I've actually come to be a bit of, a, um, to see that there are some downsides to the frugality movement, you know, cause traditional financial sense is, um, spend less than you earn. Right. So people who get into bad financial predicaments, it's usually because they're spending more than they earn. So when I was, you know, in college or whatever, I would read these financial blogs, which are all about spending less, but they were never about earning more. And so I think that that was one thing that I've learned later in life um, is that, yes, you know, there is this this it is important to, you know, not not, you know, eat ramen every day or whatever. But it is it is good to have a kind of a frugal, simple way to enjoy life. Mr. Money Mustache has been a big proponent of that is, you know, why do you need to buy a Corvette when you can just go for a bike ride in the park? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that. Um, but at the same time, you know, 
people, if they think that they're going to hit financial peace by like coupon cutting up till one in the morning, <laughs> it's just, there's, there's a certain floor to how far you can go. And, uh, um, they really at that point would probably be better served by getting a second job or, or, uh, doing something like that, increasing their earnings. I completely agree. And then you spoke of Mr. Monday mustache. He's a been on the show. We've been uh, very excited to have him here. He's episode yeah. 38, guys, if you want to look in the archives. Um, he's yeah, fantastic. I, I met him um, at, a, at a conference last year, and, and I was just so delighted by his emphasis on the importance of story. Like he, he just, his, his thing is, you know, just tell the story. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And, and that has really been a touched. I'm, I'm a, a writer. I'm, I'm somebody that's been writing his whole life. And uh, just that re-emphasis by somebody who's actually in personal finance was actually really encouraging. What was your biggest financial success to date? You're so money moment. You're only 32, but I imagine you've had some, I mean, besides, of course, building a business, but financially, personally, what would you say is the greatest uh, money moment so far? I mean, I hate to do my own horn here, but it's it's to invest in London Club or Prosper. Like, I mean, I I don't know anybody who's my age who has earned a ten percent return in investments for the last four years, right? Mm. Consistently, like nobody has done that. So so um, you know, I don't have a lot of debt. I'm not one of these guys that like you know, oh, I used to be in debt twenty thousand dollars to my Discover card, and then you know, I saw the light and came out of it or whatever. I don't own a home. I'm I'm pretty pretty simple guy. Um, uh, I do, you know, have desire to have a home and family and kind of a more classically American life someday. But uh, to this day, you know, it has just been phenomenal to watch, uh, to be able to take money and put it into um, prime rated responsible borrowers and to, and in fact, now Lending Clubist and Prosper both have automated tools. So you can even set your, your, the, their websites to automatically pick up new loans as the previous loans are paid back. So it, it becomes this almost completely passive investment where you just sit back and, you know, I'm, I'm doing dishes at night. I'm waking up and going to the gym. I'm hanging out with friends. And all the while, not only are borrowers paying me back consistently and, and without uh, a, a crazy default rate, but investors, I'm reinvesting into additional loans as soon as those payments build up enough, right? So, you know, when I talk to my friends and family and I'm like, yeah, you know, you can get started investing with very little money, very little money. Very few of them go, you know, that's actually something that I'd be interested in. Most of them are just totally dizzied by the stock market and, you know, don't even know where to begin regarding investing. Um, but the average American, you know, 50% of Americans say they cannot afford to save for retirement, right? Retirement is a massive problem that's hitting our country. And, it, you know, similar to weight issues or similar to mental health, the time to jump on issues is not later in life when things have all crystallized and they've gotten hard to change, but early in life when you're young and when you're flexible and you can change your philosophy and your lifestyle, you know, so, you know, being able to start as an investor already in my 20s through peer-to-peer lending um, was definitely one of the, the smartest and most exciting and most interesting financial decisions that I've ever personally made. And so now, of course, I have to ask you about failure. Sure. <laughs> what would you say is your biggest regret, financially speaking? Oh, man. Um, that's a great question. Uh, 
You know, I love, this is so silly. So I don't have any like massive zero to hero story. Like I mentioned earlier, I never like, you know, blew $3,000 on a timeshare or like, you know, dropped $5,000 on a weekend in Vegas or anything like that. I, I have, I've never, I don't have any massive, uh, uh, I'm a pretty, pretty regular guy who enjoys regular things, you know? So I don't, I don't have an expensive taste or anything like that. So, but what I, what, what comes to mind for me is when I was in college, I had like no money. Like I was so broke. Right. And I, and a bunch of friends decided to go to the casino and we put $150 and lost it over the evening. And then I was like, I'm going to get my 150 back. So I went to the ATM and I withdrew what, you know, what little money I had. And I'm like, I'm just going to put this on a single roulette wheel color. So that's a 50% chance of just getting my money back. And I'm going to walk out of here even. And of course, you know, it, it, I put it on red and it black showed up and then I lost 300. And I think I thought about that loss for like, seriously, like three or four years. You know, it just was like, I felt so angry at myself and so frustrated. So, uh, you know, the, the value of $300 is, you know, probably not a lot of money for most people. But for me, just the the carelessness um, and the, uh, you, know, you know, money is, it's not worth living for. It's not, uh, it doesn't, actually give our life purpose. It doesn't make us happy. Um, but it is a, uh, something that it's a gift and it's something that we need to be responsible with and we shouldn't waste because there's so many people in the world who need it and we need it at points in our life. So I think it was just the principle of being so careless and, um, irresponsible and, uh, disrespectful towards my own self, you know, that, that for some reason that $300 investment on a, or a, 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 gamble on a roulette wheel for some reason just continues to burn me today. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I can relate and I don't even know what the psychology behind this is, but I, I can say in my own life that I have sometimes been more reckless with money when I had le- less of it, when I had little of it you know? yeah. versus now, I, I suppose it's because you want what you can't have and, and you feel like how much worse could it get? <laughs> right. I mean, you know what? It can get a lot worse. Yeah. Um, so don't push yeah. the envelope. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I, for some reason I, I would say I'm the same way. Like I never really, or, or what you would do when you didn't have a lot of money and what I would do is over-focus on totally the wrong things, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. Hey, I need to, you know, watch my finances. So I'm going to blow $300 on a roulette wheel and then eat beans and rice every meal. And because I, you know, want to save money or something like that, you know, where I would probably be, have benefited from like, you know, and on a healthy financial thing, don't go to the casino, buy yourself some vegetables, you know, have like a more stable biology. You know, that's what I probably should have done, but whatever. We live, we learn. So. Absolutely. Yeah. You live, you learn. Well, let's uh, talk about habits, Simon. What's a financial habit that uh, keeps your money growing and helps you make decisions, financial decisions that are, uh, th- that are healthy? Sure. Um, financial habit. Uh, you know, probably two things. One is to keep it simple. And the second thing is to uh, do an audit once in a while. So on the keep it simple thing, like how many automated billings do we have going on in our life? We got like cell phones, we got cable and many people have uh, TV and, you know, one of the things that I'm a real big believer in is, you know, just find a couple things that make you happy and focus on that. You know, try to make your 
your bills and your own personal finances as simple as possible. And, and it, that doesn't mean cheap, right? It doesn't mean you got to live like a college student, but just try to focus in on the few things you enjoy and then just try to cut the rest of it all out. So like every year I try to remove items from my apartment, right? I live in this apartment. It's only 600 square feet, so I don't got a lot of space. So every year I'm trying to cut down on items inside the apartment to just make it simpler. And, uh, and so I remember last year I went down from like, uh, three bookshelves down to one bookshelf because I realized I hadn't been reading all these books and my life felt it like there was more breathing room and, and uh, my apartment got bigger and all those things. So on the one hand, just try to keep it the simple, you know, so many Americans are paying so many bills in so many different directions. And, you know, instead of sticking to one thing that makes them happy, they're trying to be happy spread through five different hobbies and five different times of the month. And it just sounds exhausting to me. So, what, that's the first thing. Keep it simple. And the second thing is, you know, uh, I use mint.com. Pick up a mint.com account. And it, it doesn't have to be every day or even every week. But, you know, once, twice, maybe uh, three times a year, go through your mint account and say, you know, boy, have I really been spending this much on coffee? Have I, is it worth it that to me to spend that much on coffee? And uh, it's funny. I'll talk to my friends. I'm like, yeah, I just went into my mint account. You wouldn't believe how much I just spent on X, Y, or Z. And their eyes will grow and they'll be like, oh, I never log into my Mint account. I, I don't I would never want to see that information. So it's almost like I, I have Americans are like scared of the truth about their own spending habits, you know. So just be aware of where your money's going and try to have it go in as few directions as possible. That's that's what I would say. Yeah. Consciousness goes a very long way. And it's hard to not be conscious because like you're right. We have so many automated accounts, bills going in one direction. We don't even know when right. they're due, when they get deducted. But yeah, I think you have to take pause and just reflect on what's happening. And sometimes yep. you realize you're spending frivolously. Yeah, yeah, all the time. All right, we are almost uh, wrapped here, Simon. Before we go, I'd like to end on some fill in the blanks. Uh, sure. So I just start a sentence and you finish it. Don't overthink it. Oh. Yeah. If I <laughs> won the lottery tomorrow, $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Uh, I would put $200,000 into peer-to-peer lending is what I would do. I'd put $100,000 in Lending Club and $100,000 in Prosper uh, easily for sure. Um, and I guess I would, uh, uh, buy, I would buy a really nice laptop, right? Mm-hmm. Something fun. And then I'd put the rest probably uh, across um, uh, some sort of like uh, um, small, mid, and large cap index funds at Vanguard, something like that. Something boring. I'm, I'm a big believer in... Uh, boring is better. Boring is better. Totally is. Uh, so I have to ask you, is, do Lending Club and Prosper, uh, are they in business with you as well? So we, uh, one of the ways that my site pays its bills is, is when people sign up for Lending Club or Prosper, uh, they go through, they can go through an affiliate link on my site. So yeah, I have um, affiliate agreements with both of these platforms. But that said, you know, we hold ourselves to a pretty high standard of objectivity. So the because there's two platforms, we have the ability to kind of be neutral and uh, and and not really be in the pocket of either of them. Right, because so, they're competitive. We really, mm-hmm. we really appreciate that that uh, that relationship. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Whew. Uh, uh, getting drinks with cute girls. Wow. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you use like a dating app or you went into one of those like Tinders or whatever they are? 
Um, you know, I'm a big believer that we have lo- in America have lost the art of going up to people we find attractive and just introducing ourselves and saying hey, very politely, just saying, hey, you know, I just saw you back there and this might be kind of random, but I, I just have to say you're really cute and wanted to get to know you. What's your name? You know, just uh, that is like, a, you know, before apps, that's how people did it. Right. I mean, that's you would either meet people at a before 2009. I mean, (laughs) you know, like just walk up to somebody if they're if they tickle your physical fancy, walk up there and and just say hi and tell them you tell them you like their book bag. Such a novelty. Yeah, seriously. And and frankly, it's a it's a rush. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and then and then you get to eventually buy drinks for people and and have a really exciting quality of life. So are you in New York City? I'm in Seattle. In Seattle, okay. Uh, My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is dark chocolate. Hmm. Done. Yeah, I've. I've, uh, I'm like, I eat dark chocolate probably every day. Um, What's the most expensive? What's the most the highest price you've ever spent on chocolate? Five ninety nine. Oh wait, five dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah, five dollars. No, I'm not one of these like (laughs) you know people who like. Like rare Costa Rican blended, you know, yeah. $800 bar flown in with whatever. No, like I, I go to the grocery store. You're like um, Toblerone guy. <laughs> uh, I'm above Toblerone, I will say. I'm not a – I am above that. Um, at least Toblerone's above like traditional like Reese's, although I will eat a Reese's once in a while because they're delicious. But yes. uh, no, my, my favorite thing, Seattle is known for really delicious coffee. So the Seattle Chocolate Company has these chocolate bars where they put – blackberries inside the chocolate the dark chocolate bar and it is so good i have i i I don't even want to know like i'm all of a sudden i'm talking like my friends regarding mint like do not tell me how much i've spent on seattle chocolate company blackberry uh uh, dark chocolate bars because it would just be hilarious i could you know yeah so that's that's my um, I, I feel it makes me healthy, but it, it's like it that's, does. that's my my pleasure. So yeah, in moderation, and you should become an ambassador for them. <laughs> yeah, you'll get free chocolate. Yeah, I'd be like the Marlboro Man. You know, decades <laughs> later, I'd be dead. So that's, that's not good. The I don't want to do death that. Death by chocolate. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is um, earning power. You know, I, I grew up in a in a family where I think that. The frugality was emphasized above the ability to earn, and um, and and that's good because we, you know <clears throat> again the secret to financial health is spend less than you earn. So let's be honest: like ninety percent of Americans spend way more than they're supposed to, and need to reduce their their quality of living, or whatever, however you would say this. I, I think you can have a great quality of living with very little money, but whatever. Um, but one thing that I probably didn't learn as much um, is, is we have, you know, take on a second job, take on a third job, um, uh, do it with peace, make sure you're mentally healthy. Um, I'm a big fan of therapy myself. Uh, uh, get out there. And, 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 you know, one of the most beautiful things about this country in America is, is there's so much potential to, to, uh, um, to make money in this country. I mean, people, I don't know if you've ever lived overseas, but I, you know, I lived in East Africa for three years and the red tape and the bureaucracy to try to start businesses and to try to um, and the, the economies in these other countries are very difficult. So it is a huge um, benefit and, uh, and and privilege to live in this country. And, you know, I don't want to get all like red blooded American on you or anything like that, because, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But I, I, I do believe it is this is a land of opportunity. And, and if people want to, 
you know, just try to get out there and, and uh, um, get another job, do something on the side. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. There's this uh, um, blog I read called Gen Y Finance Guy, and he, he just recently had a, a blog post called The Anatomy of the Side Hustle. And I'm like, that is that is exactly what I wish so many of my friends would 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 pick mm-hmm. up is, you know, the side hustle. It's it's a beautiful concept. And, and uh, um, boy, it's so much better to when I see people who are working on a side hustle and they're making, you know, 20, 30 dollars an hour versus, you know, clipping coupons to late in the night, um, you know, making <laughs> what 25 cents an hour. So it's, yeah. it's just. Yeah. And when you're young is the time to do it because you've still got that college body clock ticking. You can stay up late. You can, you know, work uh, crazy hours. I can't yeah. do that anymore. That's right. Absolutely. You know, this, yeah. And, and you know, even through the, even through their, the end of their thirties and early forties, it's, this is an incredible place to try new things, you know? And, and uh, um, obviously if you're in your forties, you can't bet your life savings like you could when you were in your twenties, but um, it's, it's an incredible country and, and the internet has lowered the barriers of entry to, to start new things in incredible ways. You know, I want to say that my business, uh, that lending memo media's initial year cost at like, oh gosh, I want to say the first six months it was like $70. Yeah. <laughs> that was my overhead. <laughs> so it was, it was, uh, it's, it's pretty nice. The internet's an amazing place to, uh, to try. Yeah, it's a money making engine. And last but not least, Simon, I'm so money. Because, uh, because I can, um, <laughs> can you explain to me what so money means? Like, well, it's this- whatever you want it to be, but I like to. Okay, it's a metaphor for you know being financially savvy or just you sure. know whatever. It's just it's a it's a, it's right. a je ne sais quoi. What can I say? All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. I am so money. Because I stumbled upon peer-to-peer lending, you know, early in 2011, and have had the privilege and the luck of mm-hmm. knowing that this thing existed, um, and the privilege of earning great returns over the last four years. And I wish that more people would get involved because it is a great way to uh, to to put excess cash to work across an, an additional asset class. Well, everyone, check out Simon Cunningham. Check out. Uh, his wonderful, wonderful site, Lending Memo Media. Uh, Thank you so much for the work that you do and the education. We really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. Well, that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Cunningham, his website is lendingmemo.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Lending Memo. All of this information available at somoneypodcast.com as well as the transcript and comments. And please submit your question at somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh, ask about money, work, life, and there's a very good chance that I will address it on the weekend episodes of So Money. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with with me. Hop onto iTunes and leave a review for the show. Every Saturday, I select one new reviewer to get a 15-minute money blitz with me. And if this is something you're interested in, please go on iTunes, leave a review, and hopefully we will connect. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Learned a lot about P2P lending today, right? Hope to see you back here tomorrow. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.